it's the fact that you're truly saving a life. Uh, and not only that, but you're giving an animal a second chance. And one of the things that I think about rescue work that I find so rewarding is that we've all been through tough times in our lives. And a lot of times, you know, getting through that can be challenging. And I think when we give a, a rescue animal a second chance, we realize that we deserve our own second chances too. And so there's something very unique from that aspect. Welcome to the Call the Vet Show, the podcast that helps keep your furry family as healthy as possible so they can live the full and happy life they deserve. And here's your host, veterinarian, Dr. Alex Avery. Now, why would a senior executive in Silicon Valley with a Harvard MBA leave that career behind her to lead an animal rescue organization? Well, the voice you heard in the intro was Carol Novello, who is my very special guest today. She was a delight to talk to, and she gives some really deep insights into the benefits of bringing a rescue animal into our lives, not just for them, but also for ourselves. But before we get into that, welcome along to another episode of the Call the Vet show. If we've not met before, then my name is Dr. Alex Avery. I'm a companion animal veterinarian as well as host of this podcast and founder of OurPetsHealth.com. And thank you so much for spending some time with me in your earbuds today. Now, of course, you might not have the room to bring a rescue into your home or you might not be in the situation where that is a realistic option for you. But there are other things you can do. We can all advocate for these animals and just being aware of the problem and being aware of what ourselves and our community can do can only be a good thing. So without further ado, let's jump into today's conversation. Carol Novello, I'm really delighted to be talking to you today. Welcome along to the Call the Vet show. Well, thanks, Dr. Alex. It's great to be here. So before we get into kind of all of the fantastic work that you do, Carol, and the benefits of rescue animals and and that whole massive topic, which is hugely important, I wanted to get a picture of just the size of the the rescue dog and cat population, the size of the problem that we're really dealing with. Because in the US alone, we're talking about millions of animals, aren't we? Yeah, there's about six and a half million animals that are coming into the shelters in the United States every year. And of those, about a million to a million and a half are still being euthanized. So we've made tons of progress, but that's still a really big number. And, you know, to put that into context, the human population of San Francisco is about 750,000. So you've got twice the human population of San Francisco in the equivalent of animals being euthanized every year. That's a, that's a lot of lives that still need to be saved. Yeah, when you put that into the human perspective, that's, yeah, it's it's kind of unbelievable. And they're yeah. not just being euthanized, are they, because of poor health or real, you know, aggressive behaviors? It's it's just through un- being unwanted and not being able to be found homes. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's going to be the case for most of them. In world-class sheltering organizations, they're usually able to save over 95% of the animals. And there's 5% that either through natural high mortality, like you find uh, with neonatal kittens. So a good way to look at it is, is that, you know, of that six, six and a half million, probably what's a reasonable amount is to say, you know, maybe 300,000 of those are being euthanized for... For kind of justifiable medical and behavioral problems. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a huge, a huge gap. So with that 
figure in mind let's maybe jump back to kind of the beginning and your background because you've got a very interesting background as i understand it you're not uh you know you've not been in the the animal rescue world your whole life you started off kind of in the software world and um kind of corporate america so what yeah what's your background what brought you into this this world of rescuing animals and the benefits that they have to us as well yeah well, it certainly wasn't planned. It was an interesting journey. I actually started out, I got my MBA from Harvard and I went the, the corporate route. Uh, I was a senior executive at Intuit for many years, which is a really awesome company. And I loved my time there. And as I said, it, it, it wasn't planned that I was going to go into nonprofit work. But through serendipity, I had the opportunity to join the board at Humane Society of Silicon Valley. And I've always loved animals. They've been a huge part of my life. Um, and it was such a great organization doing great work. And I thought, gosh, you know, I, I should just jump in and do this. And I joined the board with no other intent than, than being on the board and serving through governance. When six months in, I was asked if I wanted to step in and become president and run the organization. Okay. <laughs> and uh, at that point, I was in my early 40s, actually my mid 40s, I was about 45. And I, you know, I thought about it. And I was like, I thought maybe I was going to, you know, stay in the for-profit world for at least another 10 or 15 years and then, quote, give back. And I said, you know what? This is such a great organization. It's such a great opportunity. They don't come along uh, like this, you know, all the time. And so I just dived in with both feet. And uh, so I served as president of Humane Society of Silicon Valley for almost a decade. And uh, during that time is uh, when Mutual Rescue emerged from my experience there. Fantastic. And so then, so yeah, that brings us to, to your organization, Mutual Rescue. So what is exactly that, that your organization does and, and what kind of caused you to recognize the, the need for that? Yeah. So Mutual Rescue is a national initiative that's designed to change the conversation from people or animals to people and animals. And it really came about because when I was at Humane Society of Silicon Valley, people would ask me, why are you helping animals when you could be helping people? And I thought that was such a curious question because I knew just how much animals have helped me in my own life and also how much they were helping all the people I saw adopting animals. And so through that, decided I really wanted to do something that people could understand at a really visceral level, that they get it in their body. And um, so we started telling stories. We started making short films and our short films just went insanely viral. And that led to the opportunity to create a book. And that led to an opportunity to start to develop programs and toolkits to uh, enable shelters all across the country to implement programs that would help animals and people. Um, and then also provide a way to establish a national brand that then we could attract corporate sponsors into the mix and have national messaging with funding that would go to the local level, which is the front lines of the rescue world where the rubber hits the road in terms of animals yeah. being saved and, and cared for it and, and getting uh, placed in loving homes. Yeah. So I love this because the the message, it's not just, uh, yeah, it's not just our aim is to help reduce this euthanasia number and to rehome these animals that are in desperate need of homes, but it's also to help 
the people who are who are who are rehoming those animals and giving those animals a, a home. And I love how this, yeah, it's the people or animals becomes people and animals, and that yeah. ties in really nicely with a lot of um, this one health concept, which is a veterinary community and a human medical community is becoming, yeah. you know, more and more prevalent. The recognition that the health of animals, the health of people, and the health of the planet are so yeah. closely intertwined, and what's good for one is good for the other. So that's kind of something that really hit home when I heard about you and your organization. And, and, and yeah, I love that because, yeah, I guess a lot of people, um, you know, think that, well, if I'm going to give money, I'm going to donate to, to a people cause. It's a cause that's close to, to their heart. Is that really the reason why you think that the animal charities don't really get much, much funding or much public support? Well, I do think there's a perception that animal welfare is a second class cause and if you look at the numbers of the $449 billion that Americans gave to charity in 2019, only 3% went to animals and the environment combined. And so there's just this, I think, underlying, you know, sense of, oh, gosh, what I'm giving to animals, I'm taking away from people. And I actually, you know, I had donors at Humane Society of Silicon Valley that would say to me, oh, I feel guilty when I write a check for animals because there's so many people in need. Or I feel guilty that I'm volunteering for an animal cause as though somehow it wasn't as worthy. And one of the things that I really wanted to communicate is when you are supporting an animal cause, you are not taking away from people it's actually part of the solution in terms of healing humanity's woes. And so many people have had ahas with that. I've had a lot of people in the rescue community also come up to me and go, thank you for, for giving me an answer to how to respond to people when they ask me that question of why are you helping animals when there's so many people in need. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such, I mean, you can completely understand why people, why people think that and they sure. want to get the most kind of bang for their donation buck, if you like. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's it. Yeah. It's, it gives people the language to use, which is, which is fantastic and not a way that, you know, personally, I'd ever thought about it either. Although clearly in, you know, my consulting room, I see the benefit that animals bring to, to yeah. my clients' lives every day. But putting that yeah. into, into easily understandable language is actually very, very challenging. So, so I love that. With regards then to the benefit that it does bring to people, it's all very well kind of having, you know, one or two stories. And I know you've got loads and, and stories are a hugely important way to drive home that message. But there's a lot of scientific evidence, isn't there, that shows that animals have a positive benefit on people's physical and, and mental health? Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, as I as I said, we started out with mutual rescue as something where we were just telling stories. And when I had the opportunity to write the book, I realized that what I really wanted to do was bring in the science behind it. I wanted to bring in the headpiece to go with the heart piece and validate that. And there's more and more research that's being done that points to so many different aspects of a human being and how an animal can influence that for the good. So the book itself is broken down into four sections. It's broken down into heart, body, mind, and connection. And it talks about various aspects of humans and, and some of their challenges. So in heart, you know, we talk about trust and security and flourishing after trauma, things that really kind of affect your emotional life. And in body, we talk about your physiology and weight loss and your, your cardiovascular health. In mind, we talk about depression and grief 
And in connection, we talk about relationships. And what's so interesting is there is there's research that supports the impact that animals are are having on us. And, and it shows up, you know, physiologically in your body. So, you know, you're you're releasing oxytocin and prolactin and serotonin and all these feel-good biochemicals when you're interacting with your pet. So it's not just in your head, like, oh, I'm having an enjoyable experience. Your body is having an enjoyable experience and a positive experience that's helping you heal and uh, and become, you know, have, have a, a better inner experience. Yeah. And I guess with that in mind, uh, I mean, there's a lot of programs now as well, taking dogs into hospitals or into yeah. um, kind of old people's homes and things like that. But what I found interesting is that doctors are kind of prescribing, if you like, a pet yeah. to, to help their clients. Yeah, there was some interesting research that I talk about in the book. And it's, it's 60% of doctors believe that animals can have an impact on your health. And 97% said that they, you know, would actually prescribe an animal. Um, and in fact, our very first film, Eric and Petey, which is a story about an overweight man, and he went to go see a naturopathic doctor. And the very first thing that she said, her first prescription to him was to go and adopt a shelter dog and walk him a half an hour uh, at least once a day. And so yeah. uh, I love that. I love that uh, doctors are seeing that impact and they recognize the, the various ways. I mean, it's not the, the doctor that made that prescription for Eric. It wasn't just about getting him physically active. She also really saw he wasn't very connected socially and that he needed to have an emotional experience and Eric will say the first time he ever really experienced what felt like true unconditional love came from Petey. And that's a really pretty profound uh, experience for a person to have and to know what that feels like. Yeah, absolutely. And the impact on his life is well, transformative, I would, <laughs> yeah. would imagine, but also then the impact that he's able to have on his community and, and you know, passing passing that benefit on to a lot of other people. So, so that's one story. I mean, you, I know you've got lots. Have you got some other kind of stories to to um, show how different people in very different situations with different problems have, have been helped out by their rescue animal? And is it just really dogs that you concentrate on or are cats a part of that as well? Uh, cats are a part of it as well. Uh, we've done uh, films that include both dogs and cats. And in the book, there's actually a chapter on other kinds of animals, including horses and pigs and, and donkeys. And so it's not just limited it's uh, it's amazing. There's kind of a whole interspecies uh, experience that one can have. But I think one of, you know, well, the, all of the films that we've made are, are favorites of mine for a variety of reasons. But I think one of the more unusual ones that we've uh, made recently was Bhuvana, Abishak and Lollipop. And that is the story of a young Indian couple. And their marriage was really unraveling. And they ended up uh, adopting a cat and they credit that cat with really transforming their marriage and their relationship. And that's really pretty amazing. And, um, you know, they got through their really rough patch and came to appreciate one another in a new way. Uh, Bouvenoff saw how Abishak was caring for Lollipop and it helped her really soften and realize how much he cared for her by caring for this cat that they both had. And they've since gone on to have uh, a baby and, you know, they, they are, they've gotten through it on the other side. But Lollipop is what helped them really create a family. 
yeah what is it about rescue specifically that's that maybe provides this benefit to us that that maybe if you're just going to a breeder and getting a, a puppy or kitten doesn't well i think it's the fact that you're truly saving a life uh, and not only that, but you're giving an animal a second chance. And one of the things that I think about rescue work that I find so rewarding is that we've all been through tough times in our lives. And a lot of times, you know, getting through that can be challenging. And I think when we give a, a rescue animal a second chance, we realize that we deserve our own second chances too. And so there's something very unique from that aspect. And I also personally think that somehow rescue animals know they're getting a second chance. I don't, I don't have any scientific evidence <laughs> to prove that. And, and, you know, that's something I, I'm pretty big about in the book, but I do feel like they know and there's, there's some appreciation for, uh, having a home and, and yeah. experiencing love when after they've been abandoned that I think is quite unique and very special. Yeah, I mean, I think they're smarter than um, than, than we think sometimes. Yeah, I think Lots so of the too. Time they, yeah. Um, yeah, they're good at training us, and um, yeah, we <laughs> yeah we don't yeah. give them credit sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. So from that point of view, I guess people because the other thing that I come across, you know, both in my online work and in my kind of clinic work, is that people are maybe anxious about getting rescue animals. They don't, you know, they think that they're going to come through, come with a whole host of different problems, um, different medical problems, different behavioral mm -hmm. problems, and it's going to be an awful, awful lot of hard work. So maybe more from your kind of your previous work with the, the shelter system and the humane yeah. society, what, what, what would your kind of comments be on, on that? Because that's, yeah, I mean, that can be a real concern, especially if you're maybe dealing with a rescue organization who's just happy to give any dog to any you know individual and there's no screening problem but i know people because the last thing people want is to to be trying to do a good thing and maybe being being in a difficult situation themselves and recognizing the benefit that uh, an animal could have but then being lumped with if you like a problem individual or a, uh -huh. a, a whole host of veterinary yeah. bills that are unaffordable so yeah yeah what would your kind of comments be and maybe your message be to people who are thinking about a rescue dog but have yeah. their have their reservations yeah well so i think first of all you have to think about animals like people in the context that they're each individuals. And so you want to be looking for the right match for you. And first of all, there are tons of kittens and puppies that are coming in to shelters. So if you really want to start from scratch, you can do that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that when you are starting from scratch with a puppy and a kitten, oftentimes, whether you're getting an animal from a breeder or from a shelter, you don't really know what their personality is going to be like when they're that young. And so one of the things that I personally enjoy about adopting older cats and older dogs is that their personalities are already formed. And I have to tell you, there are some amazing animals. Um, you know, they are, they're not all quote broken. Uh, and in fact, so many of them are incredibly resilient, which I think again is another thing about them that is very, very inspiring. So, are there animals in the sheltering system that need uh, more medical care than you might want to take on? Yes. Um, so that pr probably won't be a match for you. But I would also suggest that uh, when you are getting a purebred dog from a breeder, there are a lot of issues with purebred uh, dogs. A lot of animals, they have been so inbred, their 
candidates for bad hips and cancer and, and all kinds of things. So I think it's a mistake to do a broad brushstroke and just say, oh, I'm going to get a dog from the breeder because I'm guaranteed not to have problems. That's not the case. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what we see a lot in our shelter is, you know, people have gotten animals from breeders and it ends up not being a fit and then they surrender the animal to the shelter. So um, I would just always say, you know, there, there's there's no reason not to check out uh, rescue animals yeah. that are in your community and, you know, making sure that you're working with a reputable shelter, reputable shelter and, and rescue group is really important. At Humane Society of Silicon Valley, we will always take an animal back, whatever, if you adopted it a week ago or 10 years ago, we will always take that animal back if for some reason it's not a fit or, or you know, something happens. And so... Yeah. That, that needs to be okay. I mean, obviously, we want to make a great match and, and hope that it's going to stick. But, you know, sometimes sometimes it's not a match. And I think we have to take a little bit of that stigma away. I mean, when you look at divorce, the divorce rate is, is 50%. So, you know, sometimes it just doesn't fit, but you want to yeah. do your best to, to make a great match. Yeah, absolutely. And life changes, doesn't it? And through no fault of our own and what may be fine for, yeah, even 10 years, situations change. I mean, there's the current situation that we find ourselves in across the world is a, a, a prime example of that. And yeah. and I guess the, from the rescue point of view, they've, you know, they're uh, most dogs are in there through no, and cats are th- through their, through no fault of their, oh, own. their own. So yeah. much like we might've fallen upon hard times. That's exactly the same with them. And yeah, it's funny you say about yeah. the, the, the purebred dogs having problems. I mean, some breeds are just walking vet bills, aren't they? They, and, they and, are. You know, you can they almost are. guarantee problems and some of them can be incredibly expensive and, frustrating some of those are hidden um i was speaking to somebody else um a a few podcasts ago about the the poodle mix explosion that's happening in the uk i don't know if that's some the same in the us but they are massively overrepresented in behavioral problems for example which just makes life very difficult and you're absolutely right you don't know what you're getting in in a puppy or a kitten you know even a young dog if they go through their adolescent phase at six you know nine months they can be very different at 18 months yeah exactly well you know i think a great example of that is morally and me i you know that that's a you know that's such a well-known book right and oh my gosh, the behavioral challenges with that dog. It's <laughs> like that, that tops all, you know, most shelter dogs I know. So I don't think there's any, there's any guarantee there around it. And again, there's just so many wonderful animals that are in the sheltering system that, you know, I just highly recommend that people at least consider it and, and check it out. And, you know, if you end up feeling like you need to, to go the breeder route, I, I don't think we, I don't think it's helpful when we pass judgment on people if they make that decision. But I just, I always like to encourage people like, hey, you know what, if you really do care about animals, and you decide to buy from a breeder, maybe make a donation to your local yeah. shelter or rescue group, um, just as a as a gesture of the fact that your heart cares for all animals. Yeah, absolutely. And even just having that consideration will make you more aware of the problem. And ultimately, you've got six and a half million dogs and cats to choose from if you're in yeah. the US and in the, and, and yeah. it's the same across the world. I know in the UK and in here in New Zealand and Australia, there's there's a huge number of, of dogs and cats wanting, wanting a home. So as well as, yeah, like you say, kind of rescuing a dog from a shelter or, or making a donation, what other ways can people can people help out? I imagine a lot of them are crying out for volunteers and for dog walkers and all that kind of thing as well. Yeah. So volunteering, uh, fostering is a really great way to have an animal in your life. 
uh, without, if you're not in a position to be able to make a longer term commitment. We also have a program here in the United States. It's not in full swing right now because of COVID, but uh, Doggy Day Out is a wonderful program. We worked with shelters across the country to put together a toolkit to make it easier for shelters to establish doggy day out programs. And essentially what it is, is the general public can come and take a dog out for the afternoon. So it's a great opportunity. You get the experience of being with an animal for, um, for the afternoon, going to the park or uh, on a long walk or the beach, depending on where you are. And the dog gets some exercise and a break from the shelter. And shelters that have those programs have found that their adoption rates um, have increased significantly. One of the early organizations that established that was the Fredericksburg XPCA, and they saw a 20% increase in their dog adoptions because there were so many more people coming in, so many more animals getting exposure. So um, there's all different ways that you can get involved depending on how much time you have to dedicate to the cause. Yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. And that would be great for, for example, for young families who maybe don't have the space to have a dog, but to introduce their children to to animals. And, and you know, that's going to have a, a massive benefit in their life, even if it just means that they are more likely to get one when they're older or they have more empathy towards, you know, their fellow man and, and other animals and things. So that's a massively, yeah, I can see how that would be so beneficial. And then I guess from your organisation, from Mutual Rescue, how can people help spread this message that it's not just it's it's not people or animals it's people and animals well if you go to mutualrescue.org you can check out all of our short films uh and viewing those and sharing them with your friends and family so more people can really understand and experience uh the impact is great there's the mutual rescue book which is uh available through online retailers in the United States. And we're also have a, a newsletter you can sign up for on our website. And we've got a, an exciting new program we're going to be launching in the fall related to supporting pet pantries across the country. And so that's something that people can uh, get involved with in the future. And also check, check us out on social media, especially on our, our Facebook page. That's where you'll find all the latest and greatest uh, information there. Cool. So pet pantries, that sounds like a really interesting thing. Yeah, the pet pantry is is a program that shelters offer to help families and pets stay together so they don't end up being surrendered into the shelter in the first place. And it's especially important right now with the pandemic, people are losing their homes, they're losing their jobs, and they're in a situation where they have to make a decision, do their children eat or do their dogs eat or their cats eat? And, um, you know, we just don't ever think that should be the case. So, um, that's a bigger and bigger deal. And I think that as animal welfare moves forward, the integration of human and animal services is going to be really important. Um, we had a one case in particular that I remember from Humane Society of Silicon Valley, where a really lovely family came in and um, their dog had a huge tumor on its paw, really super painful for the dog. And they came in thinking they were going to have to surrender the animal because they couldn't afford the surgery the mom was going through cancer. They couldn't pay the medical bills for the mom. They had an eight-year-old girl. She was sobbing at the thought of losing this animal. And what we saw was a family that loved their animal, that loved one another, and they just were on hard times. So we actually you know, specifically had a donor that had set up a fund to help out in scenarios like that. So we did that surgery for the dog. We were able to remove the tumor, rehab him, and then reunite him with his family. And I'll tell you what a joyous, joyous moment that was. So, you know, we need to think about pets 
as an extension of uh, families. And, you know, having that dog remain with that family during a time of crisis was far more healing for them than if that dog had had to be surrendered and rehomed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no bigger um, way that you could demonstrate that, that it's people and animals with that. And I think that, you know, people are yeah falling on such hard times at the moment, but having to then give up their family member oh, because I, that's yeah. what our families are i mean it's yeah. it's absolutely heartbreaking on top of you know losing your job losing your home you have to give away your family member i mean if yeah. you think of it in those terms it's just yeah it's heartbreaking yeah, it's absolutely heartbreaking isn't it and yeah. i know there's yeah there's other charities one that i'm aware of in the uk is something called um street vet so even uh, they they go out and provide free veterinary care yeah. to um, homeless the homeless pet population and yeah the the benefit that those pets bring to those homeless people is just unquantifiable really yeah so carol that yeah there's some amazing um, yeah amazing things that we all need to think about some amazing uh, stories to share and i definitely encourage everyone to head over to the to, to the mutual rescue website i'll leave obviously all the links in the show notes to that share those videos on your social feed as well to help get this message out because it requires word of mouth as well as trying to tap into viral algorithms and things like that which we're all a slave to but word of mouth is just so important and even if you don't have room for a rescue dog in your home we can all be advocates can't we absolutely absolutely thank you so much for joining us carol it's been an absolute pleasure thanks dr alex it was really fun to be here so I hope, like me, you got a ton of insight and a whole new enthusiasm and appreciation into the rescue animal population and the benefit that both them and us can derive from having them in our lives in one way or another. Make sure you check out some of those links in the show notes. I'll add links to Carol's organisation, Mutual Rescue, as well as the other resources that we spoke about. So yeah, definitely head over there. And like I say, share those on social media to help get the word out because you never know that one share could mean a new home and a completely new beginning and second chance for an animal and their new soon-to-be owner. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well on this episode and anything else that you have in your mind. The best place to get me is on Instagram, where you'll find me at Our Pets Health. Send me a DM, leave a comment on any of my posts, and I'd love to hear from you. But that's it from me with today's episode. Remember to subscribe if you're not already. And until next time, I'm Dr. Alex. This is The Call the Vet Show, because they're family. Thanks for listening to Call the Vet. For full show notes and any links mentioned in today's show, head over to callthevet.org, where you can also submit your question to be featured on an upcoming episode. We'll see you next time.